All right. I like seeing a robust beard in the announcement video. That's good. That's good. Well, today um, is, is, I'm excited because I believe that uh, uh, in, in seeking God about what to talk about today, I really believe God downloaded something to share with you guys. But at the same time, I just want to be really honest, it's kind of intimidating because I want to talk about something that, to, at least to me, is, is pretty deep and I'm still kind of wrapping my mind around what it is that I want to talk about. And so I want to just pray right now and let's ask God to help me and to help you to be able to have the capacity to be able to receive this and uh, be affected by it. Father, we come to you right now. Lord, I humble myself before you right now. Lord, I say that it's your strength, it's your wisdom. Uh, it's your uh, understanding, Lord, that will guide what we're going to look at, what we're going to talk about. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that every person here would be good ground to receive uh, your word, Lord God, that you would give us the capacity to understand some of the deeper things about your nature and the way that you work and the way that you function, not just to have some interesting thing to talk about, but so that we can be affected and changed um, and be able to receive your goodness, Lord, in a deeper way. And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you here right now to be our guide, even our interpreter and translator. And Lord, we, we open our ears, we open our hearts, we open our eyes to receive from what your word says in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so like what I want to talk about um, at least for part of this, is part of the nature of God. And this is really, if I had my preference, this would be something I would prefer to just sit down with someone for a couple hours at a coffee shop, like, say, Overflow Coffee Shop, something like that, <laughs> and, and just sit and talk about God and go back and forth, and, and uh, you've had a conversation like that before probably, where you start talking about God, and, and each one of you adds something, and, and as you add more things, and revelation starts to build, and you get more excited, and it's like you begin to get this expanding understanding of who God is and how God works, because you guys know God is infinite, there's not some point in time where it's like, oh, we finally figured out everything there is to know about God, right? That's never, ever, ever going to happen. We're going to have all eternity to be in the presence of God and to know God, and we will never get to the end of that process. It's like um, last time I spoke, we talked about worship, and we talked about those angels that surround the throne of God. And from eternity past to eternity to come, they just consistently say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's like, why can't they say something else? Because every time they look at God, there's a deeper revelation of his holiness. Okay, so what I want to talk about is the infinite nature of God. And then I'm going to give you, I want to just, maybe I'm breaking a a public speaker rule or something, but I want to give you kind of the roadmap of where we're going. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at, we're going to pull this in 
to this season, this time of year, what we believe about Christmas. And then we're going to look at how that affects you. But um, go all the way back to the beginning of the book. Okay, Genesis 1.1. I don't have it up on the screen, but uh, most of you know it. And I want you to think about what this first verse says. In the beginning, and that's referring to time, God created the heavens, that's referring to space, and the earth, and that's referring to matter. So what happened? God, in a moment, created time, space, and matter. Now, this isn't a science class or anything like that, and I definitely am not a science teacher. But if you just use conventional wisdom, if you just apply some logic to this, time, space, and matter, they have to exist together. You can't create matter, you can't create substance, things, and not create space. You gotta have somewhere to put it. And you can't create those without creating time. When were they created, right? And so God created time, space, and matter at the same time. And the interesting thing, if you start looking at how God does things, you see this order and you see this structure and it just makes God more amazing. But think about the fact that that was like creating a trinity of things, time, space, matter. And yet each one of those things consists of three parts. Put this next slide up. Time, it consists of past, present, and future. Space consists of length, width, and depth, and matter consists of liquid, solid, and gas. And so it's like God created this trinity of trinities at the beginning of creation, Genesis 1.1. And so what's the point that I'm getting at here? The point is this, God as creator could not exist within the confines of those things that he created, right? God could not be a being, and I told you, this is getting kind of deep today, but just go with me. God could not be a being that just is a material body, right? Like you or me, that exists in one place at one time and create time, space, and matter. He couldn't be someone who lives inside of time and create time, okay? So in other words, God is bigger than the creation that he spoke into existence. God is outside that. God is bigger than time. That's where I want to go here. As the creator of time, logic dictates that God must exist outside or beyond the confines of time. He isn't limited to the way time works, like you and I are. Okay, so let that kind of settle in. Because some of these things, and it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, we had a service last night, and I, and I talked with some people since then, and what I find is, and this is fairly common, you know, me too, these aren't things that we, we often really think about or think too deeply about. 
But God exists. He's bigger than time. Now, you and I, we move along a timeline. We're walking on a timeline. So like this is a timeline right here. I've got my trusty laser pointer to make it feel a little more like a classroom. I don't know that I want to do that. But so you got a timeline. You know how this works. This represents the passage of time. This over here represents the beginning of that, you know, time. And these different dots represent events and things that happen along the course of that time. And then here's the end of that time. So this could represent the timeline of history. All things, right? Or it could represent something else, but it's a timeline. It's a, it's a section of time beginning at one place, moving along, ending at another place. We move along that timeline. We, we don't have a choice. That's just how it works. I don't think we have any time travelers in here today. Or if we do, come up afterwards and let me know, because that would be really interesting. But we move along a timeline. We don't have a choice. This is how it works. It's linear for you and me. God is not limited to that. He exists outside of that. Um, so I think what happens a lot of times, and, and I'm guilty of this myself, and I, so I can say just from my own experience that this is not something that we do intentionally. It's just something that we do naturally, but it's still wrong. And I think what we do is sometimes we limit God because we try to understand God based on the box that we live inside, right? I mean, what you and I understand is that we are moving through time. Time is happening, one event after the other. There's no going backwards. There's no jumping forwards. We move through time. We look behind us and we see our past. We imagine forward to what our future might be, and we can see our present. And we, we may say that we believe God sees all, all events, all time, but when we begin to think about God and when we begin to relate to God and when we expect God to act in our life, we try to pull him into the box where we live. But God is bigger than that box. And so we can't imagine living outside of time, then it must not be possible. So as creator of time, God is able to interact with us in ways that maybe it's hard for us to understand. And so I have a couple little videos. I just, again, I, some of this almost feels beyond my ability to explain to you. So I have a couple videos to help out today, and uh, I want to roll the first video right now. So there's a past, present, future tense of salvation. Not, not that, that video. Vorda, That's so not that. God there the you future? go. Well, he's not locked in time. This is not 2017 in heaven. There's no time there at all. And one of the first things you do when you get to heaven, take your watch off and fling it over the side. You won't need it anymore. There's no time up there. Now that currently will not fit in my human brain, but I can give you a story that might help you stretch your brain around it partway. 
Suppose we decide to go rafting down through the Grand Canyon. We get a raft, we take off, and head down the Grand Canyon. I've done that before. It is really, really fun. How many have been to the Grand Canyon before? Okay. Uh, half hour later, another group takes off in a new raft, and they're coming down through the same canyon. The river carries us along pretty fast, by the way. The Colorado River moves pretty quick through there. So we're rafting through the canyon. Every half hour, a new group takes off and goes down the canyon. Because it twists and turns and winds all over the place, none of them can see each other. But overhead, there's a helicopter. The guy in the helicopter has cell phone or walkie-talkie, and so do all of us in the rafts. We can all talk to the guy in the helicopter, and he can talk to all of us, and he can see all of us at the same time, even though some are miles away from each other. That river would be like time. We are stuck in 2017. God's not. We all got radios to talk to this pilot and get advice. So you go around a curve in the river, you come up and you look ahead and one side looks real smooth, the other side looks real rough and rocky. The river splits over some rocks. So you call the pilot and say, pilot, it looks real smooth on the left, looks kind of rough on the right. Should I stay to the left or stay to the right? And he says, stay to the right. You say, no, I don't think you heard me. It looks smooth on the left. It's rough on the right. Should I stay, go left or go right? He says, stay to the right. You say, you don't understand, sir. It is smooth on the left. And he says, yes, I understand completely. It is always smooth right before the waterfall. <laughs> do you want to go over the waterfall or do you want to go down the rapids and survive? <laughs> you know, if you've got ability to talk to the guy who can see the future, you would be an absolute idiot to not follow his advice. Wouldn't you? He sees things you can't possibly see. That's why he wrote us a book and told us how to do things. You want to have a happy marriage? You want to be a good father, good wife, good husband, good mother? Read the book. There's something in here for all of that. You say, but I don't understand. From the way I look, from where I'm sitting, it looks like I should do this. Yeah, but from where he's sitting, it looks like you should do something else. Read the book and do it. It's not complicated. So the God who knows the future, he knows the end from the beginning, he wants to guide us. But we don't turn the radio on and talk to him. And if you go over the cliff, don't blame God. <laughs> Ask him, Lord, stay to the left or stay to the right. <laughs> he will lead you beside the still waters, Psalm 23. So how does God know the future? Well, it's because he's not stuck in time. Yeah, so don't go over the waterfall. <laughs> but the interesting thing about that, and I, 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 I included that video because I like the reference or I like the analogy, even though it falls pitifully short of really capturing the nature of God, because we're not going to capture the nature of God. But I like the analogy of there's a guy in a helicopter, he can see everything. He's not in one of those rafts. He sees it all. He sees where the river was. He sees where the river's going, and he sees where you are on the river. You're in the raft. You can't see what's around the next bend, but the guy in the helicopter can. Now, what I want to talk about here for just a few minutes is the amazing fact that Jesus came and in to, to continue on with the analogy 
he left the helicopter and entered a raft with us. And Jesus came, you think about God existing outside of the timeline, above it, beyond it. And he chose to enter the timeline. This is an amazing thing. This is something, this is the main thing that I, just to be honest with you, I have been wrestling with how do I unpack this to the degree that it deserves. And I haven't really quite figured out a way to do it. I'm just going to have to say, Holy Spirit, help us all understand this. But Jesus came at the appointed time. There was a moment on this timeline that was the exact place and he came at the exact right time. Galatians 4.4 says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. That's the English standard. I want to read it to you out of the message also. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that he might redeem those of us who had been kidnapped by the law. The fullness of time means that at exactly the right moment, at the most precise time and place, God's purpose and plan is unfolded and revealed. So at the exact precise point in time, God, if you, if you want to say descended into our timeline, and the, the creator God that exists beyond all of this chose to become one of the creation. That's amazing to me. And this was prophesied hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. Hundreds of years. Many, many times. Many theologians say that there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that relate directly to the birth of the Messiah. I have a few of them that I want to throw up here just to kind of show you. Micah 5.2 talks about the Messiah's birth in Bethlehem. Isaiah 7.14 prophesies that it will be a virgin birth. Genesis 49.10 talks about the Messiah coming from the tribe of Judah. Jeremiah 31.15 prophesies that there'll be a massacre of children that would happen at the Messiah's birthplace. And Zechariah 11.12-13 talks about that the money for Jesus' betrayal would buy a potter's field. These are very specific things, very specific prophecies that are happening hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. And the list goes on and on and on. And I want to focus in on one of these. And so Isaiah 7.14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him... Emmanuel. Emmanuel. I just, I want to pray here real quick. I feel led to pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would um, open up our hearts right now to understand this bit of revelation. Lord, I pray that it would be, it would go beyond being intellectual and academic. And I pray, God, that you would affect our hearts and you would allow change to happen 
as this settles in. In Jesus' name, amen. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. Say that with me. God with us. This is the game changer. This is the difference maker. This is the the infinite creator God that we've been talking about that exists outside of time, outside of space and matter. Chose to enter our timeline and be with us. And this is the, how do I say that in a way that conveys the weight and magnitude of that? I don't know how to put it into words uh, to convey that. But this, this is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about how Creator God came down and became a human, right? God with us. The idea of salvation, healing, deliverance, joy, peace is all wrapped up in the idea of God with us. God with us. And there's something, again, there's a deeper layer that we can go there. And it seems kind of almost obvious, but there's something so profound wrapped up in it. You can do, you could, I've heard a whole message taught on just those three words, God with us. Because it's the idea that these two things, God being God and yet God being with us, are somehow joined together. It's hard to understand. It's hard to grasp that God Almighty, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, is with us. And not only is He with us, closer than a brother, but He is God. It's hard, to, it's hard for our minds to reconcile these things. He humbles Himself to walk with us in love, but he remains God and carries out his promises. It's literally the best of both worlds. How could it get any better than that? Let me, let me read you something, a few verses out of Romans 8. And I just want you to sit there and just receive this and let this minister to you as I read it. So what does all this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, <coughs> the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as the sacrifice for all, he certainly won't withhold anything from us, anything else he has to give. Who would then dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over them, not guilty. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he conquered death and is now risen, exalted and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles? 
pressures and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Now, this is a side note, but I want to say this. If anyone ever comes to you and tells you that because of sin, failure, falling short, dropping the ball in some way or another, that God is angry with you and does not love you, then go tell them to buy a Bible and start reading it, because that's not what the Bible says. That's what does the cross say about that. So now you could go back to Psalms 711 in the original King James Bible, and it says, God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. But the question is, are you the wicked that God is angry with? In other words, did the cross have the power to give you a new identity or not? What does it say in Romans 5.8? God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then one of my favorite verses in the Bible, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We have a new identity. We have a new life. Don't believe the lie. When Jesus entered the timeline of history, he did something to change your timeline. And let's go ahead and play that second video right now. So there's a past, present, future tense of salvation, and I want to talk about that. And I brought the board up because I want you to see what we're talking about, all right? So I want to talk about the past, the present, and the future tense of salvation. So this is salvation. And let's just take the verse in John, who was, who is, and who is to come. Right? Past, present, future. Everyone got that? Okay, let's address this to salvation. According to the Bible, you have been you are being, we could say, you are being, and you will be saved. You follow me? You have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. Let me say it another way, and I showed you this when we talked about sickness, to understand sickness. You have been saved from the penalty of sin. You are being saved as you learn and grow in Christ in your soul. Your soul is being converted from the power of sin, and you will be saved from the presence of sin. And just one other analogy, it's not really an analogy, but I don't have time to go in to explain all of it. You have been saved in your spirit, you are being saved, converted in your soul, and your body will be saved one day. Does everyone, everyone follow that? Okay, here's where I want to go. Here's my burden, though. I don't want to talk today about the present and the future tense. I want to talk about the past tense of salvation. Because, 
please hear me. If you don't understand that you have been, then you have an incorrect view that you are being and that you will be. If you don't understand what the Bible says about salvation in the past tense, let me say another way, if you do understand what salvation says, then you will have peace in the present and faith for the future. But if you don't understand past, then you will have pressure in the present and fear of the future. This is good, by the way, just so you know, this is really, really good, all right? So what God's done in the past has changed our present and our future. And like I said before, if you realize this, it changes everything. It really does. It, it, the, when you get a different perspective, it's more than just your viewpoint changing. It's the way that you uh, function and operate from that point forward. And if you realize this, it changes everything. So <clears throat> we've been talking about this timeline up here um, representing like all of history, right? And so let's zoom in a little bit um, from the big picture uh, down a little more focused. Because Jesus didn't just split time in half, but he, I mean, he did split time in half. I mean, think about it. History is like leading up to the birth of Jesus and then going away from the birth of Jesus. We have B.C., A.D. Um, It was so funny when I realized, I can't remember the first time I encountered um, B.C.E. and C.E. instead of B.C. and A.D. You know what I'm talking about? So it's like in, you know, intellectual or academic circles, somebody decided we can't say before Christ and in the year of our Lord anymore, we have to say common era and before common era. And I'm like, so how do you separate common era and before common era, right? It's still the birth of Jesus, no matter how you want to say it. So you call it whatever you want, but Jesus came and affected the entire timeline of history. But he didn't just come and affect history's timeline. He came to affect your timeline, your timeline. So we've seen how God created time. We've seen how he stepped into time and how he changed everything. But I want to talk about your timeline. So let's zoom in. Uh, Psalms 31, 14 through 15 says, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. And... um, that earlier video talked about how time is, is like a river, you know? I mean, we, <clears throat> we, we move through time in a linear way, like a river. Another way to think about it is time would be kind of like riding a train. Any of you have ridden on a train before, you know that the train is moving down the tracks. You go to, to board the train, and it's already been a lot of different places, and at a certain point, you jump on, and you ride the train until you depart, right? Well, that's kind of how our timeline works here in this world. We have a certain point where we jump on, where we're born, 
and things happen in our life, the train moves down the tracks, and then we depart. And so you were born and you begin this journey on your timeline. Now, go ahead and put that timeline slide back up again. There you go. So let's say this is your timeline, right? So you're born over here. You move through the timeline. Various important events happen at different places, and then you depart. And those things that happen from the beginning to the end of that timeline have a way of affecting the rest of the timeline. I mean, some events are pretty impactful. They could be good or they could be bad. I mean, maybe you have some great thing that happens, you know, 10 years ago. And because of this event, it changes the way that you look at people. And maybe it restores your faith in humanity or whatever. And it becomes easier for you to trust and it becomes easier for you to form connections with people and things like that. But let's say something happens seven years ago that's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It could be in the form of a loss. It could be in the form of a betrayal. It could be in the form of an offense. It's just a bad thing. But it's bad enough that if you haven't been able to kind of process through that thing, it begins to change the way you look at everything. It affects the way that you make friendships. Maybe it affects your ability to make friendships. It affects the way you believe. It affects your belief. Maybe you were praying for something and it didn't happen. And now you feel like, I don't know if God loves me. I think God loves other people. I think God answers other people's prayers. I think God heals other people. I think God blesses other people. But I just don't know if God cares about me. Well, that's not true. But an event in your past, further back on that timeline, if not dealt with, has the ability to create or allow a lie to take hold. We got through, you guys know, we went through many weeks of the series on exposing the lie. And so you, you know from hearing all of those other messages, all of the different ways that a lie can take hold. And so it's an important thing. These things that happen on our timeline um, are really important. And so we have to be able to deal with that. Um, the good news is that God exists outside of time. And that's kind of why I wanted to lay that foundation earlier on, is to just get that settled in your thinking and in your heart. We serve and we know a God that is not limited to passing through time the way we are. He's outside of it. But he also walks, it, walks through it with us. It's a, an amazing paradox, but it's true. So Isaiah 46.10 says, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come, I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. 
Isaiah 43, 13 says, From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can oppose what I do. You know, you could say that God inhabits eternity. It might be more accurate to say that eternity inhabits God. Because again, he's outside of time. He's bigger. He operates outside, or he exists outside of time, but he operates within time. And it's hard to understand that. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around this as we pass through time. We're limited to what we remember from the past, what we see in the present, and what we imagine about the future. But remember, we're talking about Emmanuel, God with us, right? So God is with us in our past. God is with us in our present. And God is with us in the future, in our future. Now, if I wanted to be grammatically correct, I would have said God was with us in our past, God is with us in our present, and God will be with us in our future. But just like God does not have to obey the laws of physics, he doesn't have to obey the laws of grammar. And the truth is, is that God is not looking back at the past like we are and looking forward to the future like we are. Listen to what Jesus says. This is John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's interesting, isn't it? That's kind of weird. Why did he say it that way? Why didn't he say, before Abraham was, I was? Because God's present is every point in time. He exists outside of time. I know I've, been, I've said that like a hundred times today, but I really want to drive that point home that we serve a God that is not limited to passing through time the way we are. If we get a hold of that, then we'll see how we can be free from that. You have a past. It may contain pain. And you may feel trapped you may feel a prisoner there. You may feel like you can't move on because of something in your past. Um, serving as a, a pastor, I see more and more and more that this is something that's fairly common. That each one of us has things that have happened that has caused us to have a difficulty in the, in the present to have a fear of the future, to build relationships, to move on. So it kind of looks like this. Past pain can rob you of present peace and lead to future fear. That's why just saying, oh, that's just in the past, I'll just move on. Well, if you really are moving on, that's one thing. But if you haven't dealt with what's back there in your timeline, then it may be robbing you of present peace 
and leading you to future fear. Now, I want to clarify something a little bit of what I just said. Because we do move through a timeline, and it really is, we're not time travelers. It's not like when some, if somebody comes up to you and accuses you of living in the past, right, you're not really living in the past. You can't go back. So what is in the past is truly in the past. So if something happened where, let's just make a situation up. Let's say that when you were a child, your, your dad said, you're good for nothing, you're never going to amount to anything. If that happened and you're still feeling pain for that, from that, or it's affecting you in some way, you're not, that, that event is not causing you pain because that event is over. It's done. It's, it's in the past. That's not still happening. But sometimes we believe a lie because of the event, and it's our current belief that causes the pain. And we look at everything through that belief. So if somebody, told, somebody important in your life told you something negative about yourself, I'm, again, I'm just making something up. It could be something not as a big of a deal as that, or it could be something much more horrible than that. But if something happened that caused you to believe a lie in the past, on your timeline, then that current belief is what's affecting the way that you see things. But Jesus, here's the, here's the message, here's the point. Jesus can speak truth to that lie. Amen? Romans 12.2 promises that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So here's what I want to do as we kind of wrap this up. Um, let's have the band go ahead and come back up. And I want to take a step here. I don't, again, you know, I don't want this to just be academic and something interesting to talk about at lunch. I want to take a step. But if you want your present to be set free and take the fear out of the future, then we have to do a couple things, simple things. First off, let's, let's take a second and examine what we believe. Is there something in the way that you believe right now that's holding you back from doing what God wants you to do or being who God wants you to be? When you hear about what the Word of God says about who you are, your identity, and it doesn't ring true to you, Oh, that's not me. I could never do that. I could never be that. There must be something that you're believing that's not true because we know the Word of God is true. So let's examine what we believe. Is there something you believe? I'm, I'm, I'm no good. I could never do anything good. I, there, I have no value. I have, is there something going on right now? And if you trace that back to this is when that started. This is when I started believing that lie. What we have to do is we have to allow Jesus to speak truth to that lie. And he will. And this is why it's so important to understand that God exists outside of our timeline. He sees it all. He's in every point at the same time. He's there when you're born. He's there when you go to heaven. 
right now. And so we need to allow Jesus to speak truth to that lie. And if we ask him to do it, he will. And then we need to receive that and we need to renew our minds. And God will free you from the hurt of your past by removing the wrong belief and taking away its ability to hurt you now. So I want to take time right now as the band begins to play, and I want to pray and ask Jesus to do that. Just right where you're sitting, I want to do this right now. And I believe it can happen right now because the Holy Spirit's in this place. Amen? Amen. So let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's focus in on the goodness of God. And I want you to think about what I just talked about. The Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal this to us. Lord, you know our hearts. You know our thinking. You know if there's a lie that's in effect right now. I pray that you would reveal that to each person here as necessary. If there's something we're believing about ourselves that's just not true, that's not in accordance with what your word says, that doesn't line up with what the cross has done, reveal it right now. And Father, if there is a point in our timeline where a lie took hold, somebody said something, somebody did something, something happened, there was a loss, there was a betrayal, Lord, reveal that. Bring that to the surface right now. And Jesus, I pray that right now you would speak truth to that lie. Jesus, tell them what you want them to know about what happened. We know that you exist outside of our timeline. You walk with us through time, but you are bigger than time. You see it all, every point. And at that moment when that lie took hold, speak truth. Jesus, tell us what you want us to know. Now I want to take time to allow for this. And so what we're going to do is as the band does this song, I just want you to stay in this place of prayer, openness to the Holy Spirit, and listen to what Jesus has to say. Lord, we want to be free. We want to walk in liberty. And we want to walk out of here not believing lies. In Jesus' name.